Hello and welcome to episode 317 of the Fabulous Pelton Cast, sponsored by our friends at Pagliacci Pizza. I'm your co-host, Kevin Pelton. And I'm Tristan Carcino. And we are coming to you from Renton, Washington, home of the Super Bowl 48 champion Seattle Seahawks. When you're not in Seattle, Washington, home of the four-time WNBA champion Seattle Storm, but some huge storm news today. I feel like that's where we should go off the top. Yeah, it's a semi-emergency pod. When arguably the greatest athlete in Seattle sports history announces their retirement at the end of the season, that's going to be a big deal for the Pelton cast. I mean, one of the things we've talked about is uh, that we'd never recorded a Pelton cast for a long period of time in a world where Russell Wilson wasn't the Seahawks starting quarterback. Well, think about how far we have to go back where Sue Bird was not on the Seattle Storm roster to when she was drafted in 2002, 20 years ago. Oh, no. Really makes you think about your own mortality. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I like Sue's comment. She uh, mentioned, she quoted Derek Jeter is that uh, when you retire, you go from being old at 41 to young at 41. There we go. So that's how I'm I'm choosing to look at it as a year younger than Sue. Uh, Before we get into that emergency pod, should we do this week's beer? We should, because it also relates to the Seattle sports pantheon. You know, in a manner of timing that I wish I could say was intentional, but I bought this beer uh, two nights ago, uh, having no idea that Subert was going to retire, just as we had no idea when we delayed this recording of this podcast until Thursday that that was going to happen. Genius. Genius. We have, from our new friends at Structures Brewing, which I learned is in Bellingham, the Junior Session IPA, IPA is in Kengraffy Junior. And uh, a lovely, lovely drawing here on the can of uh, a, a skeleton Griffey with the iconic uh, follow through that he was known for. I'm just going to throw this out there. He's right handed swinging in this. <laughs> do you see that? You see? I'd have to, I'd have to do the math. The I don't think bat would be in his other hand. No, you finish oh. with it in your left hand. His left hand is I, down. I see. It's a. It's an awkward angle, but his body is going the opposite direction. That is true. That <laughs> does appear to be true. He does have the have a right handed stance, but uh, the bat is in his left. That hand. is a very con- confusing perspective. When Griffey Jr. is a skeleton, he's going to have a very confusing looking swing, Clearly. and it'll still be beautiful, exactly. right handed or left handed. Uh, Jr. A hoppy little pale ale. Which is odd. They say it's a pale ale on their Instagram, but the the can says Session IPA. Uh, this batch is hopped with Citra, Simcoe, and Chinook. And that's all the information we've got about it. Oh, he's, he's standing up, stood up to start swinging. Of course, this is a right-handed swing. No, you have to. You, this, you're now being like one of your family members. You have to talk into the microphone. Just because you're near the microphone and swinging doesn't mean that it'll pick up the sound. Like, this is no offense to Structures Brewing. I get that you're in the state of Washington, but, like, that's more than you could say for almost any alcohol affiliated with the Seattle Kraken. But this is a right-handed swing from Kegrafee Jr. That is... It... Yeah, yeah, I guess it is strange. Uh, uh, Bellingham, where I believe Griffey began his career. Oh, the Bellingham Bells. Were they that back then? Yes! You think they... I don't know where Kegrafee Jr. started his career. Why, I just didn't know what their team was. Oh, were they the Tacoma they... Tigers in the 90s? God! <laughs> oh, no. We're getting off to this start to the podcast? What was the dude? Eduardo Jimenez? Uh, Miguel Jimenez. Miguel Jimenez? Whose autograph we got while he was playing for the ti- Tigers. Went to the, which was the library? The, was it, it wasn't the SeaTac library. Was Valley it? View. Valley View Library, that's what it was yeah. called. They used to have AAA players come to the Valley View Library. I've, I've always said, I assume that uh, Dave Cameron, longtime... Uh, uh, baseball writer who now works for the Padres. I, he grew up near Valley View as well. I have to assume he was there getting Miguel Jimenez's off, uh, autograph as well. Little did we know at the time. Uh, so should we talk? Should we talk about Subert's retirement? Yes. <laughs> where, where do you want to start with this? Uh, well, it's interesting. I mean, there, there's a couple of different conversations about Subert. I literally had to pull up Ken Griffey Jr.'s follow-through. And... 
See, the opposite leg is forward. His right leg would no, be No, the forward. legs are wrong. Yes. The the swing is shown left-handed. No, it's not. There. The bat follows through. See, it bat falls, follows through in his right hand when you're left-handed. Uh, and the right arm is coming across his body. Yeah. This is a right-handed swing. Wow. This is like... It, but it could be intentional. Could I will be intentional, throw it out there yeah. that maybe Skeleton Ken Griffey Jr. swings right-handed. Could, could be. Okay. It's just... It's a little bit disorienting, though. Or maybe copyright infringement there's some issues <laughs> clearly the pelton cast is not that worried about such things oh. things of that nature we're taking the marcus lario approach to that one <laughs> cease and god i would i would love to get a cease and desist but but you would not get love to get a cease and desist from radio for yes i would we would just change the logo who cares what are they going to take the profits from the pelton cast oh. are they going to come and take pizza from us <laughs> <laughs> Rainier's going to be like, you owe us a bunch of Pagliacci pizzas. <laughs> I, th- I think we're good. I think I think us and Rainier Brewing are good. Oh, no affiliation whatsoever. Not even inspired by. <laughs> Complete coincidence. I've never once heard of Rainier Brewing Company. Anyway. <laughs> a Pabst Company. Uh, why, why do you keep moving, like grabbing the microphone like you're choking up on a bat? <sighs> like it makes a bunch of noise. Sorry. Anyway, there's a couple of different different ways to go with this conversation, which is both Sue's place as obviously she's not retired yet. There's the rest of the season to play out. But this is kind of the moment when I think we'll celebrate Sue at the end of the season as well. And her story is not finished because, you know, the storm are still they have the whole season to play through. I think that I I'm curious about the timing of this, which maybe it was just easier for her to do sort of like the, you know, the Kobe Bryant like take the victory lap before it happens rather than the like quiet fading away you know maybe it makes more sense and even to like eliminate the distraction at the end of the season so i took note of this and i, I even went back and re-listened in her exit interviews last year she mentioned that she really liked the way that becky hammond and penny taylor had gone about this because they both announced their retirement with precisely 10 games left in the season wow and so like there was enough time to have, people could know that it was the end of their career and could come and celebrate them mm-hmm. and not feel like, you know, surprised by it necessarily or caught off guard by it uh, or wanting more is in the case of Subert's last game and Everett last year with the one more year chant. Mm-hmm. But also it wasn't a full season of the retirement tour, which Sue very much did not seem to want. Uh, you know, she indicated during her press conference today in Connecticut, uh, obviously one of the where she played college basketball, that the timing was really about the fact that Sunday is their their last only trip to New York of this season, her hometown. Mm-hmm. So she wanted you know those fans to kind of know and to ha- everybody to have that moment and just that clarity and not have it hanging over. I mean, look, it's not a surprise to anyone. Yes. Uh, there were people, you know, before the season who kind of took it for granted that it was her last season. And then she did like mess with people a little bit on the uh, the 60 Minutes uh, feature they did on her. She was like talking about, who knows, maybe I'll play to the 2024 Olympics. I'm like, no, that was that was never happening. But uh, it is n- n- there is a level of finality now to knowing that this decision is out there and is made. Well, and so I, I think the couple of different ways to look at it are both her knowing that that's the case, but also that this announcement happened today and that we're looking back at Sue's career today are both on the like larger scale, what Sue means as a Seattle athlete. Because we kind of have that pantheon of Seattle athletes and it's a bit of a balance because there hasn't been a lot of, there's been a lot of winning in Seattle sports, but not necessarily championship winning in Seattle sports. And and even the championship teams, like I don't know that any Sounders player yet individually is on the Pantheon. Probably not. Because it's so much of a shared thing between Rui Diaz and Ladero and Jordan Morris and Christian Roldan and you know Joao Paulo. Like, Clint Dempsey. Clint Dempsey, going back to that. like It's harder to pick out that one Sounders player. You got all the way down to Joao Paulo. <laughs> like... Okay. Stephen Fry. You're like Alex Roldan. <laughs> oh, oh, Alex Roldan and a screamer. Danny Leva. A screamer uh, <laughs> of a goal on Tuesday. We'll talk about it in a little bit. Uh, but but so there's kind of that conversation in where she sits among the greatest athletes in Seattle sports history. And there's a pretty obvious sort of like grouping of players who are in the S tier of like Seattle sports athletes. And whether Sue's at the top of that possibly and then on the flip side there is 
the more personal conversation, and that is you were covering Sue for the last 20 years from when she was drafted, or did she precede you at the Storm? She preceded me at the Storm, but Sue's first WNBA game was the first WNBA, WNBA game I ever attended. Wow. So that year I was on a, first year I was on a credential keeping stats for a Dean Oliver project wow. that went into his book Basketball on Paper, and... You know, we'll talk a little more about this in a second because it's going to come up in, in my list of top five Sue moments. But, you know, she is the number one reason I fell in love with women's basketball in the WNBA. And it was great timing for when a year uh, that fall, I got an internship with the Sonics and Storm and started covering the teams. And it was 10 seasons is a beat writer basically interviewing Sue after you know, close to every game at practice all the time. Like there is literally no athlete in my career that I have interviewed more often than Sue Bird. And it also is incredibly fortunate because Sue Bird is maybe the best interview out there. Okay. Uh, the interview where uh, I got exposed to COVID, which thankfully I did not get. <laughs> oh, wow. Sh- shout out to the airflow at, uh, at Climate <laughs> Shouts Fletcher to the airflow. <laughs> Because uh, I talked to her for like 11 and a half minutes, according to the recording, the day before she went into health and safety protocols. The CDC does not recommend doing such. <laughs> uh, and it's it's an amazing interview. Actually, the CDC does. <laughs> it's a big feature that's going to hopefully come out next week that's not... not just exclusive to Sue, but she's kind of the central figure in it. So I'm, I'm very excited about it because she had a bunch of hilarious cl- quotes. And like she's always always been happy to talk to the media and given us gold and it's incredible in that personal standpoint and then yeah to just kind of have the intertwined journeys of you know me being there for 10 years and being around for her entire career uh as i said previously like it would have been a huge bummer if i would have missed her final game that, that game against Phoenix last year with the one more year chance. So I'm I'm very pleased that she came back. Uh, I, I'm probably going to try to go to her last regular season game because that's on the road in Las Vegas. And I, who knows about the playoffs? I may just try and follow the storm because I, wow. I don't want to miss Sue's last game. Just no matter, anytime there's an elimination game. No, I think it's possible, yeah. Wow, okay. Uh, so for you, we'll, t- we'll talk about the personal aspect first, I guess, and then the Pantheon aspect. What are your personal favorite moments? This is to you. This is not like the fucking like top five or whatever. I mean, it's moments. pretty close. I I hedged a little bit. Like these are all games that I attended. I didn't put like anything from the 2020 finals. Or... You didn't have the interview where you almost got COVID. I, I didn't. As, well, as part of your top five. I, I've told the story before on the pod about the time that I played trivia with Sue, right? How did that go? And that uh, the, one of the categories was, was like WNBA, and one of the questions was, what's the only WNBA city on the Mississippi River? And Sue got that answer wrong, and I had that answer right. You were playing against her? No, we were on a team, but like disagreed over what the answer who did you, was. Who did the team defer to? I, I, I think I was confident enough that we didn't <laughs> Give it to you. I'm sure I've told the story on the pod. Do you, do you no, know I don't remember this is? at all. I'm trying to think about it. Hold on. The only NBA team, the only are I, they are they still? What year was this? Things haven't changed, right? The team is still there. There are no other teams on the Mississippi. On the, the Mississippi River, I believe that's the only one that has ever been in the WNBA on the Mississippi River. I I could be missing one. Is it the San Antonio? No. Indiana? Nope. Chicago? Who? Minneapolis. Is on the Mississippi River. Is that the, I don't know if it's the mouth, but uh, what did the Sue north say? end. I, I think it might have been in Minneapolis. I'm not sure. It okay. was 12 years ago or 13 years ago. Okay, so you, how, how good was Sue at trivia? She's good. Yeah. I mean, I don't, again, I don't remember specifically. It was a <laughs> long time ago. It was the same night the Huskies won the softball Women's College World Series. You, you were just at a random bar? We they did a storm trivia night at Red Hook. Brewing. Okay, and so, so it I, wasn't like you were just popped no, up to fucking no. bar, and then Sue was on your team, and they were like, "Oh, I guess there's a WNBA category." Yeah, that would have been amazing. <laughs> so, uh, but you ended up on Sue's team when that happened. Yeah, uh, there were a handful of players. I know Camille Little was there and Katie Gerald's, and there was like four or five of us from the office who went out there. Did you win? I don't think we did win. Wow. We won one time at Norms. 
With Sue Bird? No, Sue was not involved in that one. <laughs> that was just people from the storm office. That was just a time you wanted trivia that you had to bring yeah. up? <laughs> it was a similar group of people. Uh, okay, so so that, that moment didn't make the list. Did not crack the top five. I went with all on-court moments. What, what were your top five? Let's say top five, personal top five on-court Sue Bird moments. Starting at number five. All right, number five be game three of the 2004 Western Conference Finals against the Sacramento Monarchs. Uh, th- so this was the year that Sue broke her nose for the first time uh-huh, in the first that. round against Minnesota. This was their first championship, right? Correct. Yeah. And she had surgery between games two and game three of that Sacramento series, the, the winner-take-all game three. Uh, it was kind of like uncertain whether she was going to play. Not only did she play, she had 14 assists. Storm broke that game open with a huge run in the second half. So definitely one of my favorite games. And a better Sue moment from that first championship run than nothing stands out as much from the uh, the the, w, the WNBA Finals that year. It's when all Betty Lennox. Lennox was, yeah, MVP. <clears throat> uh, honorable mention, by the way, I didn't mention 2010. She had the game winner in game one of the WNBA Finals against Atlanta. Uh, off a monster in very illegal Lauren Jackson screen. <laughs> that was that was probably her biggest WNBA Finals memory moment. Uh, number four in the list. End of her rookie season. Storm playing the Portland Fire. Wow. And basically, like one of these two teams is going to make the playoffs, but not both. Storm needed to win to stay alive. It was a literal loser leaves town. What if one of these organizations is going to fold? I mean, that's the amazing thing. Like, you go back 20 years. Obviously, the fire didn't have Sue Bird and Lauren Jackson. Uh, Jackie Styles, uh, as yeah. great as she was in college, did not turn out to have that WNBA career. But, like, from an off-court business standpoint and a fan standpoint, you wouldn't have said, hey, one of these is going to go on to be one of the most successful WNBA franchises, and the other is going to fold, like, you know, play one, two more games after this game. And that's how it turned out. Uh, she had 33 points in that one. Just a huge performance. Like the pull-up jumper, which was in full effect. I thought it was funny. Sue uh, had some comment at the press conference today about how, like, she's she seemed, like, kind of offended at the idea that people think her game hasn't changed at all over the years. Like, she still obviously does a lot of the same things, but the pull-up jumper is almost gone from her arsenal. It's, like, very limited mid-range anything or getting to the basket. It's all pretty much all threes on offense now. Okay. But the mid-range is, like, do you feel like that's part of basketball changing as well? She definitely, it's a response to analytics. Yes. Uh, also did not mention Sue shouting me out at the Sloan conference. That did not crack the list. Wow. Uh, we wanted to hear personal moments. Why did she shout you out at the Sloan conference? I th- I think there was some discussion of me doing doing analytics for the storm. Ah, uh, so. okay. All right, number three. So this is the game specifically where I got into the storm. So the first game they pl- played, Sue's debut was at home against the New York Liberty. They lost and played very well, quite frankly. Uh, Lauren Jackson was hurt at the start of that season, and it was like, eh, whatever, you know, I enjoyed it, but it wasn't that notable. Second home game, Minnesota Lynx. Probably a Tuesday night. Uh, Sue scores 27 points, eight of them in overtime. They come from behind to win that game against Katie Smith and the Lynx and uh, future Storm head coach Brian Agler. And uh, that that was it. Like From that point on, I was hooked. That's all, all right. it took. All right, number two moment. This is this is like the defining Sue Bird moment, but it's number two because this is the personal list. Use okay, you, yes. Use you command it. Uh, game three versus Phoenix, 2018 conference finals. Uh, great series. Diana Taurasi had never lost a winner-takes-all game uh, in her entire career to that point. So you're a little nervous when that series... I'm sorry, game five. This was a five-game series at that point in the semifinals. Uh, Storm won, had won twice at home. Phoenix won twice down there to force the game five. Sue goes off for 14 points, four three-pointers in the fourth quarter. Storm win, go back to the finals, win a third championship. And by that point, I was covering it for ESPN, so it was a great game to write about as well. And that championship, the first two were with Lauren, right? Correct. This was sort of like this Warriors championship that they just won, right? Like, it's like a lot of the names are the same, but quite a few are different. And it's kind of like, okay, this, this is now a dynasty. It's been extended over a very long period of time. I mean, they were two years, uh, three years between, two years between final appearances, or two seasons between finals appearances. Uh, the Storm went seven seasons between finals appearances. Even better. But no, 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 more notable. 
but yeah, I mean, that's one of the cool things about Sue's career is that it straddles these two different eras, the Lauren era. And she joked, it's funny that now she's retired and Lauren is back playing in <laughs> Australia. Uh, and then this, Lauren has, I'm sorry, but Sue's retiring. Come on. What is the, the legality of this? Uh, I mean, again, it's not a, it's not a, what is stopping Lauren Jackson from coming and playing? How many games left in the season? Yeah. Uh, I think 22. Okay. Let's get it to 10. The last <laughs> 10 games, Lauren Jackson comes back. I'm telling you, this is going to happen. We'll see. We'll see on that one. With I mean, the Sioux retirement. That was even, a, that's a real bold prediction. Even if it's just like fucking Marshawn Lynch is going to run in some touchdowns from the one yard line. You know what I mean? Like, I, Yeah, I would take it. Absolutely, you would take it. I, again, it's a question of whether what Lauren wants to uproot her life. and go For 10 games? Many even if it's a couple. Have, how many games would you take? Lauren plays two regular season games and is there for the playoffs. Sure. You talk about following the team around in the playoffs. If Lauren Jackson is there, then you're following that team. I'm, I'm you're like a, a, a storm head at that point. Do you have a name for a fan base? Storm Crazies. Storm Crazies? No. Mm. I have to change that name. Uh, yeah. Uh, and Sue like had the opportunity to go back home and play for the Liberty to go to another team instead of waiting out the rebuild and, and Jewel Lloyd and Brianna Stewart getting them on board, decided to stick around and was rewarded with this second run of two championships late in her career at the Commissioner's Cup last year. Uh, really, really incredible stuff. All right, the number one game I love on that in the WNBA, same as the NBA, players, they toy with the idea of playing in New York and the New York professional basketball well, team. Let's, let's hope that it would. Brianna Stewart is toyed with playing in New York. Let's hope I, so. I mean, things may be set up, but look, we've got the backup plan already in place. Isn't Courtney Vandersloot coming to replace Sue? That's that's the hope. I feel like Kelsey Plum's too happy in Las Vegas now. I don't think it's going to happen. I'd be too happy. She's doing quite well. All right, my number one. So this is, this is up there in terms of Sue's highlights, but I'll explain why it's particularly notable for me. Game two in 2010 conference finals against Phoenix. Uh, stormed down 12 with 321 to play in the game. Go on a 15-0 run to finish the game, which is capped by Sue Bird's game-winning three-pointer with 2.8 seconds left. Clinched their second trip to the finals in franchise history en route to the second title. Uh, ensures they went undefeated in that year's playoff run. Uh, matching the all-time record by going 7-0 in playoff games, even though there were a bunch of them that were close. All three against Atlanta were close in this one. But the reason this particularly stands out to me, uh, this was one of the rare road games I traveled to in the playoffs. And so I was sitting there courtside. And game three of this series was going to be scheduled for Labor Day. This game, or the, I'm sorry, the day after Labor Day. Labor Day was the day off in between games. This one was played on a Sunday. Uh, game three would have been on a Tuesday. And I didn't want to work on Labor Day. Mm-hmm. Like, who wanted, who wanted to take the holiday? Probably went over to your house back in 2010, I would assume. Uh, so Sue and the store making this comeback to give us the day off. All right. Great time. We were, the, the group of us that had traveled down there were so thrilled. Uh, I didn't even mind that I lost one of my favorite ties walking <laughs> because I had to like take off my shirt. It was too hot walking back to the hotel in the Phoenix heat in September. <laughs> going just a, going just a t-shirt. Uh, and then, then that night we uh, went to the kangaroo and Kiwi after we got back to town and uh, a few players were there as well. Good times. So All right. Go. Wow. On a personal level. So I, I'm curious also now about the, the Pantheon. I was thinking about this, and I think we should do it as Mount Rushmore style. Mount Rushmore is tough. And maybe we even rank them. Because, okay, to me, it, it is, I think there is a very obvious Mount Rushmore. So Is there? I, I, I think so. I, I mean, unless we're counting hydroplane racing. <laughs> <laughs> Where is Dave Milwaukee? <laughs> Where is Japan? I, I don't know if you want to include include hydroplane drivers. Then we might have, we might have to go to... Just hydroplane drivers as champions. <laughs> but, but, to me, there's a very clear four. Okay, so Sue. Yes. Griffey. Yep. Peyton. GP. Yes. And Russ. Yes. It's not even close. Like, th- those four athletes, both the combination of, of, 
high-end talent and winning that each of them did, right? Like you have Russ as to me, if you're ranking them, Russ is number one, right? Russ delivered the most important champion championship in the city of Seattle history, right? He has his instant Hall of Famer, greatest quarterback in Seattle football history. Like Russ is the clear number one athlete in Seattle sports history and was traded for the 10th pick in the fucking draft. No. <laughs> Had to get that left tackle. Got to build around Drew Locke. After that, I think it's really up in the air, though, because you have Griffey, who is the best player in baseball, right? The most exciting player in baseball, whole generation of baseball fans who came from Ken Griffey Jr., right? The impact that he had. House that Griffey built. It both locally and nationally. Maybe it saved the Mariners. Probably saved the Mariners, right? And definitely delivered the first playoff appearance for the Mariners. Uh, and the, still to this day, the most exciting moments in Mariners history, right? Yeah. So, but at the same time, never made it to a World Series, at least for the Mariners. Well, ever, I don't think. But I don't recall the Reds playing a lot of World Series teams. I don't. I, he could have made it with the Braves at some point. We don't didn't play with the Braves. He's never played for the King Braves. King Griffey Jr., when he was on the Braves, he <laughs> definitely was on the Braves. You can look this up on baseball reference all you want. It's still not going to be the case. With the White Sox? The White Sox were the team he played for in between the Reds and the Mariners, yes. On the back end, the back end. There's like a, <laughs> yeah, you've you've got a Mandela effect. It is. Griffey. It's a Mandela effect of Kegrevi Jr. <laughs> like I could picture him in a Braves uniform. Uh, that's a Photoshop, friend. As it turns out. <sighs> anyway, Griffey was the greatest player in baseball. Right, won the MVP with the Mariners. Was in the top ten for MVPs multiple times for the Mariners. Was the most exciting baseball player. Probably the most exciting baseball player of like until Shohei or somebody like that, right? Like, he had... What about Ichiro? <laughs> we hate Ichiro so much. Oh, it's hilarious. Not in the conversation for the Mount Rushmore. Uh, but I think he's, he at least merits a mention. If we're doing a pyramid, he's at, a, like, level two. You've mentioned him. Uh, then you have GP, right? GP is... He was never the best player in the NBA, Right. No. But for the extended period of time, he's probably the most similar to Sue as far as like the the where he sat in the NBA. I mean, he, but it, it's odd because Sue during the years where the storm were good, were good, was never the team's best player. Exactly. And I think I think that's that's where Sue gets the credit. So GP was maybe not even the best player on the Sonics that went to the finals in a oh, similar no. way Kemp, to Sue. Kemp was the best player. On that but team. had the, had the longevity, right? Sean Kemp was such a short period of time where he was an elite level player. GP was here for another generation after that. Um, and his impact was felt for so long. I mean, really, they're always in tandem, right? We put right. them in that's, the Pelicans Hall of Fame. That's the thing about it. But but You've got to put five people on the Mount Rushmore so that you I, can fit Peyton and Kemp both on there. Peyton and Kemp are the same person. <laughs> if but if you have to choose one, if you're if you're putting one player on there, it's GP. I, over I Kemp. agree. Even though like Kemp was my guy, I, yes, obviously it's GP. I mean, so the other people that were not leaving that were leaving out here, Edgar, uh, Hall of Famer who played his entire career with the Mariners, uh, Steve Largent, uh, certainly merits a mention here, as you know, kind of statistically as productive as any Seattle sports athlete. I mean, to me, Sue is number one. When you consider the fact that she played her entire career here, played so long, and the team's success, I I mean, you know, I think they're they're gonna they're gonna put the statue outside Climate Pledge Arena, which puts her in a pretty exclusive company with, with Griffey and Edgar. Uh I yeah, I just think I think her, the Mariners might be a little statue happy. Hell <laughs> and Dave Niehaus. Puts her in exclusive company with Dave Niehaus, the glove, Mike Cameron for some reason. <laughs> But again, I think the combination of winning and longevity, I think, I think makes Sue number one. Number one over Russ. Yeah, I no way. I mean, but Sue Sue was never the best player in the WNBA. Sue was never the best player in a championship team. Russ might not have been the best player on a, on the Super Bowl team. I mean, that's the other thing is we haven't mentioned any of the other defensive players from the Seahawks who are also candidates here: Bobby Wagner, Richard Sherman, etc. He received the exact same amount of MVP votes as Russell Wilson has received. Um, <laughs> but, Sue, but has, Sue has received my MVP votes. I, I think that Bobby and Sherm, you know, like you look at those players as maybe like the best player on that team. That would be the only reason that I think you could even make the argument 
pursue. At the same time, it's easier to win a WNBA championship than it is to win a Super Bowl. That that is correct. So, and and when you look at it as to me, if you're putting other people on the pantheon, you have to talk about Stewie and Lauren Jackson also. Right. I mean, they're 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 up there. There's tons of people to mention though. Felix is somebody to mention. Um you have like the 70 Sonics who won the championship, right? Lenny Wilkins is definitely somebody to mention. Jack Sigma, um, Fred Brown. But I, I feel like, and even, you know, hypothetically, like Steve Entman is somebody who won a national championship. Yeah, if you get into UW, it, it opens it up considerably. But, it, but it's also just, it's only four years, right. you know? Like it's such a short period of time that you're at that high level as a player. So to me, it's those are the only four that are in contention. I feel like if you had to rank them, it is Russ at number one. I think Sue is retiring at number two. You have the four championships. You have the longevity. You have the sustained level. There's not an embarrassing Sue, Beer, Sue Bird career. Yeah, yeah. like or or like like fade or arc. Right. Sue Bird has been. So, some at, people were trying to speak it into existence earlier this season. Me? Yeah. Earlier this year? Yeah. She, when she missed a bunch of threes in like the fourth game of the season. That was, I don't even remember. It was, it was a little premature. But it's really tough with, again, with Griffey. If you just take, if you give Griffey a fucking bullpen or something, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, Ken Griffey Jr. was good enough to go to a World Series or you put him on a slightly less cursed team then hit 630 homers. Like, yes, yeah, so if we do the Seattle sports version of the championships added metric I have in basketball. Griffey probably scores pretty well for his, his Seattle years. And, and But we also, he didn't necessarily have the longevity. Started really young, but was gone from Seattle by the time he was 30. I mean, and, he played 10 seasons in Seattle, right? Yeah, or 11. 11, yes. 11, yeah. I mean, obviously, King Griffey Jr. played a long time in Seattle. And then you look at it, like, you look at baseball reference, and the all-stars, like, the award section of baseball reference is just, like, all of the Seattle years are packed full of stuff. And then after that, it's kind of nothing. You know who doesn't look back fondly on that trade? The Cincinnati Reds fans, I don't think. <laughs> They're like, we give up Mike Cameron and Brett Tomka. <laughs> Brett Tomka. <laughs> was Pokey Reese in that deal? I think Pokey Reese was. I wonder if the Astros look at the... Because they want to... Or no, the, they, they lost Randy Johnson right away. We fucking swindled the Astros, right? Yeah. Man. Americans actually were super good at trading their superstars for value. I feel like... Which is how they somehow lost, again, in like three consecutive years. Randy Johnson, Ken Griffey Jr., and then A-Rod. They lost an entire three-fourths of a commercial. (laughs) David Ortiz was in there. They lost him, I guess, the year before Randy Johnson. I think that was 97. So four consecutive years, they lost that entire, (sighs) entire direct TV commercial. And then won 116 games. That was bonkers. Strange I, times. I, I, I think I might move Griffey ahead of Sue. Oh. I mean, that's because we need the Sue Bird beer can. Yeah. Who's making the Sue Bird beer? Where, where are we at on this? She'll be shooting lefty Come on, in people. it. Uh, <laughs> she'll be not defending a, a breakaway. <laughs> it's like the exact opposite of what Sue can do. Uh, I, I think... Oh, you, man, that did remind me of the 2024. 2018 finals against Washington. She got a steal at the end of the game on the classic Sue Bird move, which is to get beat defensively and to the lazy the lazy strip from behind. But she's like actually amazingly good at the lazy strip from behind. That was like uh, to me that you told me one time. This was like a decade ago. You were like defending fast break. Sue Bird is the best person I've ever seen defending a fast break. Did I say that? Yes. Oh, Danny Green's better at it. <laughs> This is pre Danny Green. Yeah, this is a lot. Danny Green's better. <laughs> That's why she moved down. Okay, so Russell Wilson, Danny Green, never played in Seattle. <laughs> was he even in the NBA when the Sonics were? He, he was not. Dan, no. Danny Green has never played a game in Seattle. Uh, he has not. Wow. Uh, I think I think you have to give it to Griffey though. Ab- above. Sue. Like the championships are one thing, but at the same time, but the asking for a trade out of Seattle, I feel like but knocks the, you down. The ways spot. look, it's different than almost any player who asked for a trade out of Seattle. Also, like kind of I incredible mean, how two of these players ended up being traded and were kind of phenomenal trades. Yeah, <laughs> like there aren't that many trades I mean, for I, superstars that happen where you end up in a really good position. I mean, like we would be so happy if the Russ trade turned out as well. I mean, obviously the GP trade, but like. As the Wait, weirdly, trade, they didn't trade Russell Wilson for a better quarterback who was younger and not a longer term. Gotcha. It really, the modern equivalent would have been like they got like 
we've Justin ta- Herbert or something. We've talked like about that. what the retro trade game right, would be for the, <laughs> the Bucks. On the retro yeah, trade that once. Do you feel like it's Herbert? Like, who is the modern equivalent? It would have to be somebody who's a little bit down, but who's is like Kyler Murray or something. Yeah, I think that would be it. That's a perfect one. Uh, <laughs> but but I I do think that. The Mariners didn't lose because of Ken Griffey Jr. It's just a different sport. Does John James deserve mention in this conversation? I think coaches are in a different, different. They're they're on a different Mount Rushmore. Yeah, it's not quite the same. You know what I mean? Like also, like Don James, again, the program did get banned from postseason play oh. under Don James. You know what I mean? Like Don James had his moments. I, I think if you're talking coaches, it's a different conversation. We've done that conversation, but like. I, I think that's the Mount Rushmore, though, is those four players. And that's where that's where Sue's... I mean, we talked about it when Loro left, whether he was a top 10 coach in Seattle sports history. Uh, yeah, I guess that's true. Uh, but, but yeah, I think it goes Russ. If, if we're talking the, the tier, it goes Russ, Griffey, for me, Sue, GP. Well, Sue's still got the rest of the season to move up that list in your mind. If she wins a fifth championship, we'll see if that changes things. Uh, let's get to our toast, because besides toasting to Sue Bird's phenomenal career, we've got a bunch of them. Uh, I think we alluded to this earlier, but uh, congrats to Seattle on being chosen a host city for the 2026 FIFA World Cup. So I was watching this as I just had it on, like I was on a call or whatever, and I just had it on a mute. And I saw the tweets about it was coming and they were all from Canadian stations. And they're like, see if Edmonton makes it. And I was just <laughs> like, I think I can tell you right now whether Edmonton is going to make oh, it. I'm no. so sorry, Canada. Uh, and was watching through and I was like, Edmonton did not make it. <laughs> I, I was watching through and I was waiting with the, the place that I'm going to live in 2026. And I was just like, they announced Vancouver and I was like, oh, God. I was like, if there's a Vancouver, how many more West Coast cities would there be? And then to see Los Angeles pop up, I was so excited. <laughs> oh, congrats to you. <laughs> when, when Los Angeles came up and I was just like, Phew, okay, so I'll be able to go to a World Cup match in 2026. Thank you for this weather, city of Seattle. Thank oh. you. This is your fault, Seattle. This is your fault. I have no response to this. You build up expectations. Last year with the Mariners getting close to the playoffs and 116 degree weather. And this is how you follow it up, Seattle. You trade Russell Wilson. You give us this weather and this Mariners season. That's what you're doing to us. Kellenic gets sent down. George Kirby gets roughed up. Come on, Seattle. Come on, Seattle. Uh, uh, but, anyways, but no, I did want to say on the World Cup, you look at it and it's like, it, again... You did this to us, Italy. Now we have to be nervous that you're not even oh. going to make the 2026 World Cup. Well, they did expand it to 48 teams for the 2026, <laughs> so our chances are better, presumably. There we go. I didn't but know I How many teams? Are there more European teams? I mean, there's going to be more of all of the teams there. It's only 32 now. Is there... 16 more? Yeah. Can we fucking get to the 96 team World Cup like oh, I've been asking no, for for no. so long? Oh, no. So uh, 26 is going to be 48 teams. Correct. That makes. I mean, there shouldn't be a World Cup where one of the best teams in the world isn't participating. I mean, maybe they should try playing like one of the best teams in the world. I don't know if you've seen the recent they, results in the okay. Nations League. They're not so, not they don't so give hot. A fuck. They do not give a fuck. I think they do give a fuck about Nations League. Why would you have a tournament where... Can we agree that Europe is probably the best region for soccer in the entire world? Yeah. The best soccer club in the entire region is not going to be in the World Cup. I, mean, I agree there should be automatic bursts to the World Cup for the Confederation champions. I agree with that particular assessment. I don't think that matters 32 versus 48. I think that's more of a that's more of a FIFA issue than it is uh, uh, creating extra competitions for more money. It's just, it's it's just a cap, it's wild a to me issue. that you could have the best team in all of Europe, therefore the entire world, so the best team in the entire world no, doesn't make the World Cup. I don't know if you could say that. I, I would not say that. Is is Europe the best confederation of well, that soccer? the best team in... 
you know, the... The best team won the, the most recent Euro Championship. The SEC might be the best conference. That doesn't mean Clemson can't win the national championship from time to time. So I know that's that's why your logic does not check out. <laughs> and they lost it's the... Not, do you understand? <laughs> what? This is also a joke. <laughs> You're, like, taking it too seriously. Uh, well... <laughs> I don't actually think that Italy is the best the best team in the world. They can't even make the fucking World Cup. But no, it's kind of nice looking at it at the West Coast where it's just like, all right, like if Italy makes makes this 48 team World Cup or the US as a <clears throat> distant well, second, the like if they're playing the US tickets are just going to be so hard to get. Yeah. But I mean, you know, all like, these tickets are going to be so hard to get. But if you want to pay enough, you can go and it's like how many times is Italy going to be playing in the fucking World Cup in Seattle or in the in the I mean, United I don't States? I don't know I would count on them being in the so it sounds like they're going to do it like bracket teams in the West region. So they'll play some, like perhaps some games in Seattle and some games in Vancouver. And then another group, they'll play some games in San Francisco and some games. Okay. Santa that makes Clara, sense. Cause I was thinking it is like, LA. it's not like you you're have... going to go from Boston to the Bay area. Mm, that makes it worse for us as fans though. I, know, I, I randomly just was looking at the map, picked Boston to the Bay area, not even thinking that was the NBA finals matchup. Oh, there you go. The, but yeah, I was looking at it. And I was like, okay, like there's, if they're playing in one of Vancouver, Seattle, San Francisco, LA, like all those places are easy to travel to from Seattle. Correct. Or from LA. Yes. Is there a Phoenix location? It's just no. like, you see that gap right That's there. I, I figured that Seattle would be a location because of just spatially, it, yes. it would have been. It does make sense. It would have been really empty. I Denver mean, it was a candidate. They didn't get it. Bummer for Russell Wilson. Just like he's going to be playing in Denver in 2026. <laughs> All right. Speaking of the NBA Finals, congrats to the Golden State Warriors. Gary Payton II is go. a champion, joins his father. I saw Sonics Forever tweeted that they're the fifth set of father and son champions, of which at least two are current Warriors because Clay as well and Michael Thompson. Uh, uh, and then also to their executive director, analytics and innovation, Pavel Sidhu, who's an Everett native, went to UW, worked with the UW men's basketball team before joining the Warriors. So kudos to him as All well. Right. Uh, next up in our toast, congrats to Richard Sherman on joining Amazon Prime's Thursday Night Football studio show. Told NFL Network Steve Weiss he's keeping the door open on playing this season, but wanted to take the opportunity to begin his broadcasting career. Can't wait. I feel like Sherm's going to be awesome. He's a natural. Yeah. It's like Draymond. Is Draymond that good? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he's good. I mean, the opportunities, it's interesting. Like, back in the day, you sort of had to grind it out. Now, with podcasts, there's so many opportunities to just, like, build up media ability. Yeah. Um, which Sherm has obviously done. Draymond has obviously done. That's that's why would players come on this podcast. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I, I will say, uh, being a guest on this podcast is one-fourth of them is part of that Seattle sports Mount Rushmore. Yeah, I was going to say, you should give some bonus points. And we didn't even mention that as favorite memories. You and I interviewed Sue <laughs> at the media room at Key Arena for the Felton cast. It's funny because I was so uncomfortable going to that, just being like, like I was like so nervous going to that. And now I feel like I would go into that situation and not feel any nerves whatsoever. You know, like had we just we just restarted the podcast at that point. It was like pretty brand uh, it new. It was the previous fall. We'd been going for like six months at that point, I think, maybe. Yeah, I don't... I would but, not be But nervous. Sue was definitely by far our biggest guest at that point. Yeah, until... I mean, we have the fucking dude who wrote the book on bar barbecue, <laughs> and I'm not nervous at all. <laughs> it was before we were doing We're, we're talking pantheon of parts of American culture. Barbecue's really high up there. Really high. Is it? Because some people don't seem to be finding much time for it. Okay. I'm too busy playing baseball, which is like number one on the pantheon of. Some of us had so held softball practice and still were going, willing to get barbecue. Uh, <sighs> congrats to Jordan Morris on scoring the equalizer in stoppage time Tuesday night as the U.S. men's national team drew El Salvador in San Salvador in CONCACAF Nations League play. This is the fucking team that's going to the World Cup. <laughs> congrats. <laughs> yeah, Italy couldn't have beaten El Salvador. Like it's a tough place to play, San Salvador. 
No, I'm not going to tell you've been there. Uh, congrats to Brianna Stewart. I'm not, not following you guys. I'm into your uh, Just the start. Uh, congrats to Brianna Stewart, who was named the WNBA's Western Conference Player of the Week for the first time this season after averaging 25.3 points, 8.7 rebounds, and 3.3 assists. As the Storm went 3-0, it's the 10th career honor for Stewart. Uh, and lastly, we are not doing the Pelton Cast Hall of Fame this week. We've decided to save that for another week with the semi-emergency pod this week, which allows us, I was going to say, to get into barbecue. We're not doing that either because you couldn't get barbecue on Sunday because it was cloudy and you were sad. Is that true? That's what you said. I don't even remember what I did on Sunday. Or right, a quick barbecue-related update, though. Friend of the pod, Doug Baldwin Jr., United Way of King County, hosting the first annual community barbecue this Saturday from 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. at Renton Memorial Stadium. Be several local barbecue spots there, including Jack's Barbecue, our current leader in the clubhouse in our search for Seattle's best barbecue. Also activities for the family. Sounds like a great event. Uh, looking forward to it. All right, no hot takes this week either. <laughs> no barbecue, no hot takes. What are you bringing to the table on this podcast exactly? Wow. God. Uh, I, have I told you about the time that I played trivia with Sue Bird? <laughs> <laughs> what are you bringing to the table? <laughs> so Mariners, after winning four consecutive series, have now lost two in a row at home to uh, Boston and Minnesota and then lost the opener Thursday against the Angels. So not so hot lately. George Kirby roughed up. Is he, well, he wasn't really he roughed up. He was two home runs. It was two four to one. Otani just mostly dominated the Mariners. Mike player. Trout hit two home runs. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. But also, the Angels were coming up. They're like three and eight in their last. Yeah, but they fired Joe Madden, so everything's fixed. Now. <laughs> yeah. Phil Nevin, Nevin is there. Phil Nevin. Nevin. Yeah. I do wonder, this may be a hot take. I feel like Scott Service is, he's on some shaky ground. I, I mean, that would not be terribly surprising. Every time the Mariners have a season like they had last year, they, the manager gets fired the next year. I talked about it last year, didn't yes. I? Did you predict this? Did you boldly predict this? I did boldly predict that. No. Getting Don Wakamatsu'd? Oh, wow. But there was definitely a hot takes at some point last year where I was like saying about Scott Service, like, you better chill on the whole fun differential thing because the fun differential the next year ends up not so fun. Did the Mariners extend him? I feel like they did. I think at some point they did, yes. They extended him for getting near the playoffs. Oh, God. No, I mean, they went into that series last Friday night. Uh, I was in attendance. Mina Kimes throughout the first pitch. Uh, third third Pelton brother, Mina Kimes. Third Pelton brother, Mina Kimes. I would say uh, 100% of people who threw out the first pitch that day have been guests on the Pelton cast. That's, that logic checks out. That math checks out. So, And if you're talking about Seattle sports and media professionals, She's definitely in the Mount Rushmore, so. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You're not. You're an honorable mention. I, well, I don't think I have <laughs> Dishonorable mention. I don't think I have even honorable <laughs> mention. No one here knows that I, I do anything because I cover a sport that we don't have here. Uh, <laughs> for now. You also go out of your way to say that that sport isn't coming back. Oh. <laughs> You got to keep expectations low. <laughs> That's your role around here. Uh, but going into that game, the Mariners were, I think, three out of the wild card. And I was telling you that their record home and away, they just played so many more road games than they played home games. And their home record was pretty good at that point. And I told you, <laughs> there's no such thing as unique home field advantage in baseball. And then lo and behold. It was like... One week passed. <laughs> I, the I Mariners gonna, played a thought, lot more home games. I thought you were going to hit me with the Debbie data. <laughs> <laughs> There's still 500 at home. And Wait, we really there. need to be adding a lot more sound effects to the podcast. <laughs> Essentially, we're making the sound effects. <laughs> oh, boy. This has really got off the rails. Uh, it's still fun. It is, they played, it was, they're playing some sort of fun games. Yeah, there have been a lot of close games in these. The 5 nothing shutout. Well, the 5 nothing shutout out. on Tuesday the occurred win. the same night as the Sounders were recording a 4 nothing clean sheet against the Vancouver Whitecaps in the first game I've attended for Hello. the Sounders this season. Turns out I'm good luck. 
playing without Jordan Morris, Christian Roldan, and Albert Ruschnick due to international play. Uh, still crushed Vancouver, starting with an early goal when Freddie Montero was taken down in the box by Whitecaps keeper Cody Cropper. Nico Ladero converted the penalty, uh, added a pair of goals from Raul Ruiz Diaz, and then an Alex Roldan finish in the closing minutes to make it 4 nothing. Uh, it seemed like a really light crowd. It was a Tuesday night opposite a Mariners game, and I did hear someone behind me say that it was the smallest crowd of the season for the Sounders, but they got more into it in the second half. I guess it's easier when you got, you're up 3 nothing most of the half. Uh, bad news from this one. Also, by the way, I got to say, I was, I was a little bit disappointed with the burger I had at halftime. From where? Uh, you know, the, the place in Lumenfield. There's a burger place in Lumenfield? Yeah, you've been there at Seahawks games. You go there regularly. Oh, great state? Yeah, great state. Yeah. I'm just, what are you talking about? Of course you were disappointed. It's a fucking burger at a, at a sporting event. It's not supposed to be good. I do not, I absolutely do not fault great state for not having a great burger at a sporting I, event. Me neither. I, I'm just saying. It doesn't, even, it doesn't even warrant mentioning. All right. It's redacted. It's stricken from the record. Wow. I feel like Logan Gilbert is sort of entering into Felix territory, though. Like he's he's is he that good? Well, but he's never getting run support. He's pitching fine. It's like the only time they win. It's sort of just like lose, 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 lose. Uh, Logan Gilbert starts and they win. Uh, he's six in the AL in WAR for pitchers. Wow, I didn't realize he was playing that well. Was it because the team is awful and they spent a bunch of money on XI Young winner Robbie Ray? Uh, that's, those are a couple of factors in it, yeah. Uh, so the bad news from that Sounders match, Rel Ruiz Diaz went off late with a slight hamstring pull. We'll miss at least the next two games, including this Sunday, when the Sounders, this Saturday, I should say, when the Sounders host LAFC, who after a couple of years on under poor, per, underperforming in MLS play, easy for me to say. Back on top of the standings with 2.07 points per match so far this season under new head coach Steve Terundolo, before <laughs> USMNT here. Uh, offense not quite as potent as it was back in the 2019 Supporters Shield campaign when they were upset at home in the playoffs by Sounders FC, but averaging better than two goals per game with former MVP Carlos Vela leading the way with six goals so far. More importantly, LFC, LAFC allowing barely a goal per match after 1.6 in 2020, 1.5 last season, which uh, cost Bob Bradley his job. Uh O.L. Reign got a 1-1 draw against the hated rival San oh. Diego Wave FC on Sunday. Oh, I hate those Wave. Went down early as Alex Morgan struck her league-leading ninth goal in the eighth Damn. minute, but equalized through Jess Fishlock late in the first half as the two sides shared the points. Megan Rapino returned to play the second half after missing the previous two matches due to injury. On Saturday... The Rain will host the other NWSL expansion side as Angel City visits for the first time in regular season play. Like the Wave, Angel City has been much stronger in the regular season after a tough NWSL Challenge Cup. They're currently tied for third in the standings with 13 points, albeit with a minus one goal differential. And that's despite a quiet start for star Kristen Press, who has just two goals and an assist thus far. So Saturday, you may have noticed, the Sounders are hosting LAFC in the, in the afternoon at noon. At Lumen Field. That evening, O.L. Rain hosting Angel City FC at Lumen Field. Across the street at T-Mobile Park, Sound, the Mariners are playing a doubleheader against the Angels. It is four matchups within like, you know, I, I don't know what the square footage is there between the two <laughs> stadiums, uh, between LA and Seattle teams right next door to each other in one day. Oh, there's got to be some sort of name we come up with for this, I think. Marinate on that one a little bit. Of the, the showdown of four yeah. Seattle LA matchups. Yeah. The my favorite part about it is that it's supposed to like pour rain and be fifty <laughs> degrees. <laughs> it is fully Which like is, if I mean, Seattle doesn't win all four of these games, something is wrong. Yeah, I right? guess so. That they are fully coming into our territory. It's like, it's like it's a like, full on like geography USC change. Here in November. Yes. Yeah. We were talking like like the if any of the teams from L.A. are comfortable in this environment, it is a bad sign. Uh, <laughs> uh, some big rain news as they acquired the NWSL rights. Can it crush this weekend? <laughs> big rain news. Uh, <laughs> so sad. 
Lorraine acquired the NWSL rights to U.S. women's national team winger Tobin Heath, who played in the league from 2013 to 2019 with the rival Portland Thorns, Hello. and signed her to a contract. He spent the last two years playing in England, most recently with Arsenal, but became a free agent in April after the team terminated her contract. Uh, during that period she spent in England, Racing Louisville took Heath in the expansion draft, held her rights. The Reigns sent Louisville allocation money in second and fourth round picks in next year's NWSL draft to acquire those. Uh, well with Arsenal, Heath played alongside Rain Loney, Kim Little, and uh, as is 34 now, has been hampered recently by injuries, but was healthy much of 2021-22, which I think actually she played for Man U. I think I've got this backwards is in my notes, before suffering a season-ending hamstring injury. Now, an important question for you. Is racing Louisville on the Mississippi River? <laughs> I, I don't think they are, but I'm not certain on that one. I would have to check that one out. You marinate on that one for a second. <laughs> oh, well, you're marinating on... What are you marinating on again? <laughs> the name oh, for the... Yeah, yeah. The matchup this weekend. No, I guess she was with Man U in 2020-21. Last year was with Arsenal. So, Okay, that tells us nothing about where the Mississippi River is. <laughs> you might That might tell us where the Thames is or whatever. But Oh, wow. <laughs> We're already out of our depth geography lines. I don't think we need to go abroad. Uh, the Storm, before the Super retirement announcement... On a four-game winning streak, uh, after going three and zero since we've last potted, uh, winning sweepy a pair of games in Dallas and then winning Tuesday night in Minnesota, all three games decided by four points or fewer. Brianna Stewart had the go-ahead free throws in the final ten seconds on Friday night before Arike Ogunbowale missed a possible game winner on Sunday. Uh, playing again in Dallas, Ogunbowale was ejected at halftime for kicking a ball into the stands. The Wings played both of those games without starting guard Maria Mabry due to health and safety protocols, then also lost starting center Satu Savali with a knee injury during the second half, uh, but still stayed in it thanks to 17 second-half points from Alicia Gray before going scoreless over the final two minutes on Sunday as the Storm pulled away for the win. Bird missed Tuesday's game due to an illness, obviously not serious. She was uh, at the press conference on Thursday. We'll play Friday in Connecticut. Without her, the Storm trailed Minnesota by seven at the break before rallying with a big third quarter. Epiphany Prince came up huge in the fourth, making four threes in the period. Game still tied, though, in the final minute when Stewart scored the game winner, giving her 29 points on the night. Uh, Storm will wrap up this road trip Friday at Connecticut, Sunday at New York, and they'll do so without center Mercedes Russell, who returned to Seattle prior to Tuesday's game for reevaluation of the non-basketball injury uh, that had, had sidelined her early in the season. Storm announced Thursday she's being treated for a recurrent atypical headache syndrome, and her status will be updated in 10 to 14 days. So kind of a scary-sounding thing. Hope Russell feels better. Let's wrap up by talking about the Seahawks, who uh, closed their offseason activities, had mini-camp last week, then a, uh, a passing camp with the final set of voluntary OTAs this week. Uh, we talked last week about DK Metcalf missing mini-camp unexcused as his uh, negotiations on a possible contract extension go on. Pete Carroll really diffused the concern about that when he's met the media, expressed optimism, as usual for Pete Carroll, about the likelihood of getting a contract extension done before training camp begins in July. His quote, these are crucial, crucial weeks to get something done, and we'll see what happens and hope that we can work something out. Really intend to get that done. Pete, less optimistic. But uh, wait, 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 wait. I have two questions before then. Okay. How are there only a few weeks before it's July? <laughs> that is quite troubling, isn't it? I we don't. Are very close to July. I don't agree with that. In fact, I reject that information. Okay. It's March. That's fair. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've looked at the weather. It's probably March. Yeah. The other, the other piece that I wanted to bring up here is you use the term defused here, and I, I personally thought the term was diffused, D I F F U S E D, and you use the term D E F U S E D, and these are different words apparently. Yeah, like a fuse. If you're getting rid of the the lit fuse that could cause something to explode, you're defusing it. And and what would be a context that you would use the term diffused? D i f f because that is a word as well. <laughs> I mean, I don't. I mean, I would use more of the term just diffuse. Uh, that's like 
liquid that basically has been separated. I don't know. It's diffuse. So that'd be like, <laughs> I had to look this up, to be honest. <laughs> We're doing some, some podcast vocabulary. I, no, I'm shocked. I saw that word and I was like, diffused is not a word. <laughs> Look, I'm not a professional writer, but I did get an English degree, and at no point did the word defused ever come up. It, I, no, I, I, I crunched the numbers. You used it, right? I hate to admit it. On social distancing, you would be diffuse, <sighs> I guess. Look, diffuse? Yeah. What do you mean? Because people are less concentrated? Yeah. You're scattered about. Okay. All right. That's Well, that's great. <laughs> So the media was probably not diffuse while Pete Carroll was expressing concern about Chris Carson's ability to return to the field after surgery to treat the neck injury that ended his 2021 season after just four games. Carson still does not have complete range of motion in the neck and is scheduled to visit doctors in coming weeks for an assessment. Carroll said, he's right at the cusp of getting there. The time is on him now. Can he beat that clock here, beat the clock here a little bit? So he's close. He's really close, and he knows that. He's frustrated that he couldn't show it this time around, but he knows, okay, here's our next loop, so he's going for it, just like our guys know how to. We're all pulling for him. You think Carol's, Carol's so good at saying nothing. <laughs> it's literally just like, you're like, what did you just say? There's a bunch of words. <laughs> He, he also spoke of Carson in the past tense as he discussed the possible end of his playing career, saying, quote, he's been one of my favorite Seahawks ever, loved what he stood for and what he brought, and we'd love to have him back again. He's a very special player and a very special competitor on your team in person, so we'll keep our fingers crossed. I don't, I don't know if I would read too much into that, but at the same time, we've seen how things go with neck injuries yeah. in Seattle, probably more so than almost any team over the last decade, right? I, don't, I mean, probably high-profile ones. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, this if Chris Carson does retire because of a neck injury, it'd be the third fairly high-profile player to retire at a fairly young age because of a neck injury. And I'm starting to realize just in this moment, what if football is maybe bad? Yeah, I think it, <laughs> I think it takes a, a deleterious toll on players' bodies. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, for his part, Carson went on a media tour last week and said retirement wasn't on his mind. He told SI.com's Corbin Smith, I never thought about stuff like that, and my mindset is if I have a chance to get on the field, I'm going to do whatever I can to get back on the field. So I don't think about stuff like that. I'm going to make the decision that best, that's best for me ultimately. But like I said, my mindset is on playing. Well, if you can read between the lines here and speak a little bit more clearly than Pete Carroll ever has in his, in his entire life, oh. they went out and drafted a running back in the second round. Well, yes. And look— even this situation doesn't mean that running back was actually a need because you could easily plug in this year's version of Carlos Hyde. And, and Ooh, I, I don't out. like the sound of that. <laughs> don't you? No. This year's it's version. Com- it's compared to drafting a running back in the second round? I don't know. I mean, you just you look at it and I, I can see where they're coming from. I I also can see where they're coming from. I, I don't necessarily. The they, other th- they could have drafted not this year's version of Carlos Hyde. They could have just fucking drafted a running back in the fifth round, right? People sure. seem really hype on Tariq Woolen, by the way. They do. Yeah, yeah. Tariq Woolen seems like he might be pretty good. But maybe you I don't mean, draft Tyreek Smith, and you instead draft a running back there. Like, that's kind of the difference. And you put in a player who's going to be at a more impact position long term. Is Ken Walker going to start a game next year? Absolutely he is. You know what I mean? There's just like... Not, no, a, not a bold prediction. There's bold no prediction doubt in my mind. Ken, like if you gave me the over-under for games that Ken Walker starts next year, and it was like six and a half, the, it's, it's a pretty close over-under because they have a starting running back in Rashad Penny with a history, in, in long injury history, right? And, the, and also at a position where you just get injured quite a bit. And it's clear, especially seeing this understanding what the motivation was for the Seahawks and knowing that it's a position they value. Look, we should just be fucking thanking ourselves that they didn't draft a running back in the first round, that they didn't trade. Look, granted, 41 is not that far off for the first round, but that they didn't trade to like pick 32 to draft, not a quarterback, not a quarterback, that they didn't trade to the last pick in the draft just to have a fifth year of a fucking running back. At this point, the Seahawks showed restraint by drafting a running back at 41. Wow. That is the most backhanded insult I have ever heard. But but I get I get how they got there because the running the running back room for the Seahawks will be Rashad. We'll just call it position. Why does everything have to be a fucking room? <sighs> 
I've heard enough about quarterback rooms. You can just say quarterbacks. You don't need to say room. You can just say that. It's the same thing. It'll be Rashad Penny, <laughs> Ken Walker, and the two Miami running backs. Right? Like that that is that is what the running back position group will be for the Seahawks. That better you like that. Yeah. Uh going into the season. The reality is Chris Carson probably is not going to be available for them. And when you look at it, it's Ken Walker's as far as like the next player up, Ken Walker is it. And certainly we hope for the best for Chris Carson and that it does allow him to get back on the field. But uh uh, if not, you know, uh, he's he's had a fine Seahawks career, as, as Pete Carroll mentioned. And the most important thing is for him to be able to stay healthy I, going forward. I, I think there's there's a couple of different pieces to it, which are, if we're talking about Chris Carson, if we're, we're talking about Chris Carson in the past tense, like you said, the Seahawks did. Uh, which which we don't need, necessarily need to right now. I just wanted to make sure to make the point that, look, his his health is the foremost thing. And that's definitely the case. But being a running back who was drafted in the seventh round, did I guess he did? He got the contract last year. Yeah. Okay. So he is making money. That's the most like the fact being able to make that money. Get to as, a second contract as somebody who is having to retire at how old is Chris Carson? Potentially, uh, hypothetically, having to retire at like their mid twenties, you want them to have be, been able to retire relatively healthy. And as healthy as you can be having played in the NFL and having made some money. Yeah. So if you have to retire at 27 years old. Well, hopefully he'll be able to continue playing. I don't know. I don't think he's going to make it to 41 like super. Seems unlikely. On that note. Thanks for listening. Thanks.